imagine what this turn from summer into fall feels like in some other earlier time and place, without artificial cues, in a place without truckloads of pumpkins and mums instantly invading overnight at our grocery store entryways, in a time without fall cooking recipes filling Pinterest or magazine pages, in a place without clothing racks crammed with wools, tweeds, oranges, and browns. Instead, clues of the season would accumulate. They would unfold in more subtle ways. They would affect us in countless small ways that we could notice. While just yesterday we could formally name the fall equinox, this particular moment in time when night and day are roughly equal. But our bodies have been shifting with the changing ratio of light and dark all along. As weather patterns vary, the humidity and temperatures communicate the evolving season to our skin. And I'm sorry to say to some of you, your nasal passages. The timbre of bird and insect songs, songs deepen and slow down, so fall enters through our ears. In Oklahoma, leaves are barely beginning to turn colors, but our eyes can detect the fading greens. As our outdoor chores shift, our muscles respond and adapt in different ways. We know summer is ending with our senses. And perhaps even deeper, we know subconsciously. Our bodies know the loss of lingering twilight. Our bodies know the loss of garden beauty and bounty. Our gardens know the loss of summer's ease. We're not the sole species responding to the season in primal ways. Other animals register the autumn equinox. For example, this is the time of year many grass-eating animals such as deer and sheep and goats and elk and caribou breed. In their dramatic rutting ritual, males fight with each other and scrape their antlers or horns on trees. Females become sexually receptive. Successful mating during this season is vital, a life-or-death proposition. Successful mating ensures young are born after gestation in the spring, when food is available once more. And even plants respond to the season. They are just as affected by the Earth's hemispheres bathed in equal parts darkness and light, and the plants tilt toward the sun. With the help of wind, with the help of flowing water, Or with the help of a passing animal, plants release their seeds. The seeds scatter, then settle in for the winter, just as we begin our own settling in for the coming winter. This fall season heralds loss that we can feel deep in our bones. I want to explore any methods it reveals to help us work skillfully with other personal losses. For example, the brilliant design of seeds 
may have something to tell us about coping with the change of seasons, about enduring. These jewels of the plant kingdom lie dormant all winter long. They are able to withstand impossible cold, survive without water, and remain viable despite total darkness. Some seeds are dormant for thousands of years and then later are able to germinate. The oldest confirmed seed that grew into a plant came from an ancient squirrel hibernation burrow far below the permafrost in Siberia. The seeds in that stash were more than 31,000 years old. I have another example. During excavations on a plateau in Israel at one of Herod the Great's palaces, Archaeologists discovered a cache of date palm seeds preserved in an ancient jar. Several of the historic seeds were germinated and produced plants. And amazingly, their DNA proved them to be the only living Judean date palm, a tree extinct for almost 2,000 years. They were super seeds. But most seeds need only survive a few critical months or possibly years, they can lay dormant because their outer layer, their seed coat, creates a barrier to protect the inner waiting to develop plant. This ability of a seed to remain dormant is just the instructive metaphor from nature I'm looking for this morning. And I'm not the first to revere the seed. For example, the author of the book of John in the New Testament tells a story about Jesus in Jerusalem. After he arrives by donkey in the city where he will be condemned to death, he speaks to a group wishing to see this so-called king. He immediately foretells of his pending crucifixion with a parable. Very truly, I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus goes on to tell the crowd how they will lose their lives by following him, yet ultimately be closer to God as he soon will be. I know this congregation, and our Unitarian Universalist sensibilities generally reject the supernatural miracle of resurrection from this story. Yet the innate wisdom of his seasonal observation is very valid. In one simple sentence, he gives us a compact description of autumn's role in the death and rebirth cycle. In this cycle, a seed has important work to do. So if it lingers on the withering stalk, it cannot create new life in the spring. And Jesus knows he's not speaking just as a naturalist when he says a grain of wheat must fall into the earth and die. To his followers and to us, he points beyond the basic biological plant cycle to a more profound emotional truth. A seed seems to die, 
and be buried, yet in reality it persists through a critical time of dormancy, an interval of waiting. So we too must be patient after times of loss and withering before bearing much fruit. And that painful waiting we've named grief. It can come at the close of the summer season. It always comes after the loss of anyone or anything we love and value. And grief can feel exactly like falling into the dark earth, like being buried by sorrow, depression, and weariness. Yet, grief's uncomfortable state of dormancy paves the way for renewed creativity and insight. John Keats' Ode to Autumn that David Tracy read well is a poetic treatment of this lesson from Jesus. The poem asks us to notice in the smallest details the wisdom within this turn of the season. The poem evokes summer's final bounty with its swollen and ripe fruit and bees overbrimming with pollen. It evokes a goddess of harvest surrounded by the gathered grain or out in the empty fields. But the last stanza, the poem asks us to pay even closer attention to the sights and sounds of pending loss. It essentially restates Jesus' parable, telling us the season when a grain of wheat falls into the earth has its music too. We will miss critical information and possibilities if we ignore autumn's quieter lessons of loss what Keats describes as the soft dying day, the gnats who mourn, and the wind that dies. The poem gives us a multi-sensory depiction of loss and grief as the, emotion, as the emotional stubble plane and wailful choir of our hearts. We rely on the prophets and the poets to confirm how normal this pain from loss truly is. It helps to know how this stubble plane and wailful choir register in our bodies and in our lives. It helps to be reminded that grief is common and any loss can trigger it. It helps to be told that grief and sorrow change over time just as the seasons come and go. It helps to be shown how reminders of grief dwell within the changing seasons and even within the life of a seed. Grief is a human form of dormancy, the seed coat encasing our pain, sorrow, and confusion. This season heralds loss we can feel deep in our bones Taking its cues can show us how to work skillfully with all other loss. Sigmund Freud was the first to understand grief as work. That is, a specific job should be, it is a specific job that should be finished before the next job begins. Grief creates the time and space to self-reflect. It makes room for the sadness and the anger and the frustration, and the guilt, and the shock to work 
their transformative powers. I have no doubt that each one of us in this sanctuary has experienced some form of major loss. We are human. Allow me to imagine and name the various shapes of grief some of us might be carrying. Some widows and widowers are relearning what it means to build a life without a partner. Others in the autumn of their relationships can foresee death not far off on the horizon. Some parents have lost children. Children have lost parents and siblings. Some of our members drive up Hope's long, steep road knowing good friends are no longer here because they have died, are no longer here because they've moved away, are no longer here because they're less mobile, and are no longer here because they've left the church. While newcomers have left behind other churches and morning routines to come here this morning. It's normal for a church that has stood its ground for over 40 years to have these threads of loss running through its story. The grief is not necessarily a sign of dysfunction. It can be a healthy sign of resilience and determination and of a future bearing much fruit. So if a seed buried in the earth protected by its seed coat serves as our image of grief, returning to our metaphor, the seed coat is not permanent. A seed does not stay dormant forever. The protection gives way during just the right conditions. So a small hole can open up, allowing water into the center of the seed. The seed coat has done its job, and now the inner embryonic plant can start to sprout. Those conditions can be as gentle as slowly warming soil or the necessary conditions can be as dramatic as prolonged fire. Finding the right conditions to coax the seed coat of grief is the work Freud and many others who followed him say is necessary. The emotional exertion seeks healthy ways to germinate beyond the pain and to begin to bear much fruit. The need to mourn is not weird, nor a weakness, but necessary, very necessary. It may be a gentle process or require a raging fire. Our experiences of loss change us forever. Grief work is a very individual thing with no set timetable. Every person and every loss is unique. Yet, the common component of grief work is the critical need to share our stories of loss with people we genuinely trust. The, object, the objective is to accept all the inevitable changes. So as a community, we can use our past and current grief to become the trusted witness to someone else's pain, to listen without judgment and without fixing. We can take the good that has come from our own losses to become more sensitive to those who feel 
excluded or empty. We can accept change and work within our new reality. So during this fall season, when empty fields of, of stubble and wailful choirs of morning gnats repeatedly herald loss we feel deep in our bones, may we take nature's constant cues to work patiently with all our own necessary adjustments for change. May it be so.